Welcome everyone to the Berkeley Center for Law and Technology's Expert Series podcast. Uh, I'm Wayne Stacy, your host, the Executive Director for BCLT. And today we're going to talk about an unusual case that came out, uh, BioFrontera. And we have two of the, the nation's leading biopharma and medical device uh, patent litigators with Jim Brogan and Abby Parsons, both from King and Spalding. So just want to get right into this case on the, the BioFrontera issues. Why, why is this case interesting? In, well, in some ways, it's not interesting because it's a rejection of summary judgment due to factual issues. But at another level, when you look at what's at play, I think it is interesting because you're looking at Section 101 attacks on what I think before Alice, people would have looked at as pretty clearly patent eligible subject matter where you have you know, multiple light sources connected to a controller uh, performing a function. But now that we're in this Alice age, you look at the light sources, they output uniform light. People say, hey, light's a naturally occurring phenomenon. So 101 attack is, is fair game here. Um, and so that I think is interesting. I think also you know, the interplay of the claims with um, written description and, and enablement is interesting. Well, I mean, the, the last case that, that kind of had this kind of physical structure was, I guess, maybe easy to understand. You had axles, but this one didn't quite get as much attention outside of the medical device field. And I guess my, my question for you is, for those that are drafting medical device patents, is this a case that should be studied a little more closely? I think I'd take a look at this case. And I'd also look at the U versus Apple case that came out of the federal circuit, uh, because there you had, again, something that looked very much like physical structure, a camera with multiple image sensors, lenses, processors, memory, uh, et cetera. And what you were doing was using one image to improve, well, two images together to improve the output. Um, and court said that's uh, abstract and therefore out under eligibility. I think if that case was available here to these folks when they filed their summary judgments, you might've seen a little bit different approach because you'd say here, what you're doing is you're using multiple light sources to generate uniform light. Although the court did note that um, there was no evidence that that was just common and well-known, at least in the record. So when you, when you read the briefing, you, you can pull out a lot of frustration uh, from BioFrontera. I mean, what are they? What are they really complaining about here? You want to run with that one, Abby? Sure. I mean, I think I think the idea is it, it's a common thread among several different um, aspects of patent law that you see. You know, 101, 112, enablement, written description is is they've got these broad functional claims that cover a universe of things and. Um, you know, the disclosure just doesn't meet um, what, what the patent office gave them in terms of broad scope of claims. So this claim is really wide, you know, you've got, you know, a claim to make uniform light. And, you know, they, they complain that they've only disclosed, you know, one shape of the controller in the specification, and, and yet they've got patent protection on all of it. And so you see the, the frustration from BioFrontera here comes really, you know, they, that that this is a fundamental unfairness problem and you know that, that there's different ways to skin the cat in terms of patent law 
And so they've, they've taken a multi-pronged strategy here um, to try to really get at the unfair broadness of these claims. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think it's pushing the, they're claiming the result without putting you know, much, if any, of the structural elements that are required to get you there. You know, the shape of the tubes, the feedback, the cooling, the mirrors, none of that's in the claims. So it seems this has been a problem for a decade in the software and computer space. It's just the way computer, computer claims have been drafted. Uh, functional claiming has been a source of frustration forever. Is this now the, the I guess, the, the graduation out of the computer space into the medical device space for functional claiming problems? Well, I, I would say that, you know, the pharmaceutical industry has suffered this broad functional claiming for a long time in the antibody space. And you've got, we've got a whole developed line of precedent about, you know, antibodies not being described and enabled. Um, but this is an example of the world sort of colliding, especially in the 101 space. You know, you've got here a, a, a medical device. So it, it's kind of straddling the line between tech and, you know, biology. And it's, it's, the precedent are starting to run together. So you see the court here in the District of Massachusetts is citing to the Mayo case and to the Myriad case. And you really only saw those precedent being cited in, in, in pharma cases and not really in, in tech type cases. And so we've also seen it you know, in a recent decision from the federal circuit, we saw this in CardioNet, um, in, especially in, in medical devices, people are starting to blur the lines and rely on both Alice type precedent because these inventions are, are part tech and part life science. And so it's really creating an interesting dynamic um, and what litigators can use in terms of flexibility to make new arguments, because I think both lines of cases really can kind of apply. And so you see it here, um, but it gives people, you know, sort of where 101 was putting people in three different buckets, the buckets are starting to run together. And so that, that gives us a new interesting twist in terms of uh, being in court and making arguments. Well, the, it's, Jim mentioned up front, this was a summary judgment case, not a, a final ruling on all the merits. And the court took a really, I think, aggressive shot um, at these claims. I, I love their quote, uh, the court's quote, the court agrees with BioFrontera in the first instance that the asserted claims may well be vulnerable um, in, in light of their broad sweep. So, you know, that kind of harsh statement's often there to drive settlement and, and resolution, but also to warn the parties on what may happen down the line. Do you think that this type of written description challenge in a medical device case is a, is a useful strategy uh, in front of a jury? I think in this case, it probably is because it may be easier to show lack of description here with examples of things, you know, okay, can you really get uniform light with just two light bulbs? If you move them around, can you still get it? Because, because what they've done is they've, if you will, depopulated the claim, taken everything that really gives you the uniform light out of the claim. And so that might be something you could demonstrate to a jury and have them really get it without having to go through some of the more complicated things like an obviousness analysis. So the, the technology and the, as claimed here at least, seems so accessible for the jury, it makes this a little more vulnerable is maybe what the, the court's warning is about. 
Perfect. Well, I appreciate both of you uh, recording with me today, and I guess we'll see how this plays out uh, long term and whether the uh, sins of the software patent drafting world uh, fully migrate to to pollute the rest of uh, the patent drafting world. So thank you.